All right, so this morning I would like to start a new series and walk through this letter from James. And we are going to title this Faith Works. Faith Works. I think uh, the few folks in this church that participate in social media, one of the messages that we hashtag the most is Love Gives, because that's a really good, helpful definition of the agape love of God we find in Scripture. And what we also find in Scripture is this play on words, faith works. And in this letter from James, those are the two words that are repeated most, faith and works. They're each repeated 16 times in the letter. So it's kind of a message. I put, um, oh, and I give kind of give us, to try to be helpful, the tagline, James offers us help in how to put the words of Jesus into practice. Uh, the reason that I wanted to just give that as a description is because this letter from James was actually the first one of the ancient manuscripts that we still have with us as humans. This is, of all your New Testament books, this was the first one to be written down. Somewhere around 20 years after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, James, the co-pastor of the Jerusalem church, writes this letter, and of all the, the scholars' work, this was the first one uh, that was preserved. And what you see when you read through the New Testament is that the early church had a strong sense of what the Holy Scriptures were. They had a strong sense of which writings were writings that God was definitely speaking through to them and would continue to speak through to all humans going forward. And this letter was identified as one of those writings. That's a subject for another day of which we've talked about at length in the past. Um, Definitely worth digging into. But when you dig into, like they would have, this is an open letter that was circulated and uh, picked apart because there was no forms of uh, the, the forms of entertainment that we have today were different then and, and certainly not as all-consuming. So they would have taken a, an, an open letter like this and read it over and over and over and, and tried to figure out, like, what did he really mean by this? And he would have, they would have really picked it apart. What they, what they would have immediately recognized that may be a little bit difficult for us, since I'm giving you the cheat codes today, up, down, right, left, square, squares, triangle. Giving you the cheat code today is that This letter from James is directly corresponds with the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, known as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount. And right now there are a number of new books out on the Sermon on the Mount, not all of them good. Uh, If I were to start as an introduction, which would be appropriate, to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, to give you an introduction to this letter from James, it would take 20 minutes, so we're not going to do that at this time. So I'm inviting you this week to go back and to read the words of Jesus from Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 because they will give you the source code for this letter from James. Thought by thought, which is how the Greek spoke, thought by thought, each thought in this letter from James directly corresponds to the words of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Got it? Yeah. Get it? Good. Okay. 
That's why James offers us help in how to put the words of Jesus into practice. And, and what most people would probably identify as a key verse in this letter is chapter 2, verses 17 18. I will show you my faith by good deeds. That is a blank slide, which is a mistake. Before, I'm going to read most of the first chapter, and I'll just, for the sake of time, I'll put the outline up there that we're going to follow over these six weeks. Faith works. And I know even if I just say those words, or we get, you may be familiar with the that whole 17 to 18, which says, faith without works is dead. As soon as we enter into this subject, it brings about objections and feelings and difficulties. And so I just want to identify a little bit of those, talk about a little bit of those before we read verses 1 through 21. James is trying to, he is writing a letter in particular to Hebrew believers, which we'll see in a moment. So this would be people that were Jews. They were Israelites, and they came to faith that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. They came to faith that Jesus was the Messiah, and they were taking next steps in adapting, and and how do I walk out this life? How do I take all the things that Jesus said, all the things that Jesus showed us, and how does that work in real life? That's a relevant question, don't you think? And I think what a lot of people, and, and certainly there are books about this letter that have been written, have missed is that a part of what James is trying to do is to help humans unravel a culture of merit, meaning I need to do good for God to accept me, and guilt and shame in an unhealthy, or the way Paul words it, a worldly way. James is trying to help us unravel works, mentality, shame, and guilt from our motives in our relationship with God. Follow me with this for just a second. I was once in the hospital with somebody who had had a tumor removed from an internal organ, and the surgeon described the tumor almost like a starfish with arms wrapped around that part of the body, and that it took a long time because they needed to peel away each of the like star-shaped arms from the tumor to get it off that part of the body. And I want you to consider something. In your subconscious, in your gut, in the depth of your intellect and your emotions and your spirit, there may be some things that you believe that you would never say you believe, that are tainting, that are making more painful and more difficult your relationship with God. And God, by the Holy Spirit, through this letter from James, can help us surgically remove the arms of the starfish around our motives in our relationship with God. Now, I'm talking about why did you come in this morning? Why would you pray? Why would you read the scripture? Why would you do any spiritual thing? What happens is that maybe it's at first, or maybe it's not your journey at first, but it slowly starts to become your journey. At some point in the journey, guilt becomes a part of why we do what we do. Do I get up and talk to God, recite the Lord's Prayer, be with God, even just chill out for a minute in God's presence, or read the scriptures? Am I doing any of those things? Because if I don't, I'll feel guilty. 
In my experience, everybody goes through this at some point in time. And I think that sometimes we endure things God didn't ask us to, and we feel guilt and shame and things that God did not design for us to, and that is what brings down our joy level and our desire to be involved. And that can even inhibit, and I certainly know this is the case for people when they look at me because they associate me with this stuff, right? Is we start to step back from some relationships because we associate them with God and so therefore we associate them with guilt. And I'm talking about the way Paul described it. Paul used the phrase worldly sorrow, which is not producing healthy good change in our lives, just bringing bad to bad to bad. Are you with me? Now, I think it's going to take you a few weeks, probably, to see what I'm talking about under the surface, if you will, of this letter. But it is my belief that when we talk about faith works, and this balance, this tension, if you will, between faith and works, that it's in there and that it's really important. And so I know that as soon as I read a scripture that talks about us doing good, some of us are going to feel that. Are you with me? And it's important... I am not here today to add to your to-do list. Lord knows my own is obscene. Right? I actually think that what God the Holy Spirit may be wanting to do is to take some stuff off your to-do list. Somebody say, that sounds good. I thought so. So you see the outline on the screen? I want to give the blank screen, uh, and forgive me, it was a busy week, I forgot, I had some really cool pictures I was going to put on that last screen. What we're talking about is faith that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what James is talking about. This is James, one of the 12 disciples, right? He was one of the ones who saw Jesus with his own eyes, heard Jesus with his own ears, watched his behavior, watched his nonverbal communication, watched Jesus predict that he was the Messiah and that he would be killed and that he would be raised from the dead and then saw it happen. He watched Jesus predict that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead and then he saw it happen. This is that James, right? James has that relationship with Jesus and James' whole life, which had been caught up in a Jewish culture, which included things that were not redeemed, which some people even today are trying to bring back into Christianity. But Jesus, he saw Jesus confirm the new covenant, bring about a new life, bring about this truth. And he, James watched it, he saw it and he heard it. And they were going, they went through two decades of spiritual change. But now we had believers in Jesus who were like, Okay, so I know we don't need to follow all that's in the Talmud and all these extra laws, but what do we do? And what should our motive be? And so that's a part of what the answers to the question that he's trying to bring. And I want to give us a little bit different example. Because what happens when we don't get our motives right is we try to do actions before our spirit is there. Before our spirit is being led by God to be there so that the actions are coming from a genuine place. Because really, if I'm going to come to God and, and pray and read the word and interact with God, that works best when I come out of a thank you. My motivation is thank you, God, for giving me life Thank you, God, for forgiving me my sins. That's why when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, it starts with Daddy God. 
He did not start it with Yahweh or Elohim or all the Jewish good names for God. He started it with something new from Greek culture. Daddy God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with gratitude, with thanksgiving. And so what I'm trying to say is that what James says through this letter... Is this trailer going too long? This is the trailer for the series. So he's saying, start with a thank you. And here's what this looks like. What the picture was supposed to be. Use your imagination. A pine cone. A pine cone. For coniferous trees, evergreen trees, pine trees, a pine cone is the natural result of a healthy tree. Everybody knows what a pine cone is, right? The tree doesn't have to say, oh, I want to be a better person, so No. When the tree is healthy, and before we've read the analogies from Ephesians, right? Let your roots grow down into God's love. When the tree is healthy, it bears a fruit. It it produces this as a natural byproduct of good health. And what I think we're going to find is that wrapped up in this lesson about our motives and about how we should operate is this is not, hey, do some good stuff. No, this is when I have an interaction, a personal transformation with an interaction where I I find Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I put my faith on Jesus. I rely on Jesus. Then there's going to be some natural results, some byproduct, some this is going to. It's going to pop out, right? It's a pine cone. Now, what a pine cone is essential to the reproduction of coniferous trees, evergreen trees. It's essential to it. So, and James talks about this. Your actions are an essential part of the process. In fact, what we are going to read in James is that it is the fulfillment of your faith. And that's what a pine cone is. The health of the tree growing up from a a sapling, its roots growing down, growing strong, giving green leaves all year long, not like some of these other ones that everyone loves. Look, they're dying. It's so beautiful. (laughs) I, I think it's beautiful too. The changing of colors. But evergreen tree is always the same color. And then, boop, out comes the pine cone. And the pine cone is essential in the reproduction process for more trees to be born. It is the life of that tree coming to fulfillment. We sung about where we are brought to full fulfillment in worship today. In that song, Since Your Love Got a Hold of Me. Now let's, lots of talking, so now let's read the scripture, okay? I'm going to read from the New Living James chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the, quote, 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. 
Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes us or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now, I've taken up a good amount of time with introducing us to the letter and the overarching larger theme. So today we won't take quite as much time to draw lessons from each of the verses. I want to hit maybe the most important ones, okay? So one that immediately pops out, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. There's more insanity coming out of the scripture. How is this possible? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, we have a couple of Bible words here that are important. This word perfect is generally in the New Testament included with the word salvation that you see at the end of the stretch we just read. And they're often linked to each other, and they're often linked with a Greek grammar that is saying this, God has done this, God is doing this, and God will do this. That's the grammar in which that is spoken, this perfection, this completion. It's also in that salvation word. Let me say that again. It's spoken in the context and the grammar of saying God has done this, God is doing this, and God will yet do this. And what that word is meaning, and we can see this in other scripture, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so this word perfection is talking about us growing into who God created us to be in God's idea, not our idea, not the ideas of other people, not comparison, but it's us growing into that full picture. And if I take all of the scriptures on the subject together, I would have to come away with this interpretation. It's not easy, but God saved you because he loves you. God does the hardest stuff and God will be faithful to complete it. God invites us to be involved with this growing 
And it will not be fulfilled until Jesus returns. Did you catch that? So, God invites us to spiritual growth. We don't see any examples in Scripture of people that were faithful that were passive learners. Only active learners. So God invites us into this process of spiritual growth, but He's the one that initiates it. He's the one that does the heavy lifting. And He's the one who has promised to complete it when Christ returns. So that should help you kind of take a deep breath, relax, be yourself. And understand that we should continue to make adjustments in areas that the Holy Spirit points out in us. That where we need to grow and change. But also know that we're not going to be completely perfect until Christ returns. So relax a little bit. Are you with me? Now, we also get a word here, endurance. And I want to just have, I feel, pastoral responsibility to pause with this word. Because this scripture gives us great words about what we should do and about growing in endurance. But my experience tells me this. That there are some people listening to me this morning who are enduring something that God has not asked you to endure. This scripture is not about that. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's unresolved anger. Maybe it's broken relationships that haven't been appropriately resolved. Maybe you have secret sin that needs to be dealt with that is having consequences in other areas of your life. Maybe it's a mental health condition. Maybe it's a physical health condition. This verse is not about that. It helps that. It helps me spiritually interact with that. And some of you have heard my testimony, my own journey with depression and anxiety. I had a season in my life where I woke up every day expecting things to go bad. With a pain that I was not articulating. That really, not until recovery, was I able to articulate. And I just thought, with verses like this, God just wants me to go through it. And I'm here today to tell you, that's wrong. I do not wake up that way anymore. Now I wake up, because of God, expecting things to go good. I don't feel what I used to feel in the area of depression and anxiety. And so when we look at this scripture, I feel a responsibility to you to say that you might be carrying something God hasn't asked you to carry, and that's why you're feeling heavy, and this verse is not about that. And you might have something unresolved that God wants to bring to resolution, and God is not saying, just keep going with the status quo, just keep doing what you have been doing as it relates to that issue. Am I making any sense? Now, obviously, I'm wading into issues that have... Thousands of different implications, thousands of different reasons. I'm not trying to make blanket statements. That's why we do Celebrate Recovery and many of the things. You need to have good, healthy relationships. You need to have relationships one-on-one, relationships in small group where you can walk through in the safety of God's love, walk through the nuances of whatever the issue is that you're dealing with. Are we good? Now, let's talk about what this verse is saying as it relates to endurance. Now let's look at that dirty word. Endurance. Steadfastness, most translations translate it. And here's what I mean. And I thought this was, and this definition that you see on the screen that I want to read to you is actually 
the combination of the work of scholars from a variety of different references, which includes the different uses of this word in Scripture, and also from ancient documents, the use of this word in that current Greek culture that would have been what they would have heard. Are you with me? Okay, cool. Endurance, steadfastness, the ability to continue through difficulty. God's wanting us to grow in this, and God is helping us to grow in this. To stand fast, to wait patiently. Courageous endurance which defies evil, including active and energetic resistance to hostile power. Standing against an external factor without being disturbed or unsettled by it. Staying calm in the face of assaults of destiny. Meaning without fear, without being bowed down by an attack on your God-given destiny, you can stand undisturbed. Strong, courageous, brave resistance. Don't get it twisted. This following Jesus thing has always been something from the very beginning that was done by a small group of people that were counted out, that were the underdog, that were defiant against a dominant culture. Endurance. Steadfastness. I need to keep moving. Verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I don't know about you, but you know, if you want to pray for me this week, this is generally my number one prayer request. I need wisdom. Maybe you feel that you need wisdom. If you need wisdom, ask God. It's really that simple. Verses 6 through 8 talk about wholehearted devotion. And this is very important. I have found in my life experience that it's really common for people that have followed Christ, attended church for a long long time, to drift from a wholehearted devotion that is reliant on God first and foremost and more than anything else. And what comes is through time of drifting into relying on ourself, relying on our own strength, relying on our newfound peace, but in a way that's unhealthy, and relying on the name that's on that paycheck that gets deposited. I'm not talking about yours, I'm talking about the one the money comes from, right? Relying on external things that are other than God. James is saying that the only way for faith to work is if we weed out self-reliance or reliance on anything and we make sure that we are relying on God most. And James doesn't pull any punches, doesn't sugarcoat it. He says if you are not relying on God most, you are unstable. Now that I have found to be a more a word that causes more dramatic effect than what the FCC calls profanity. Just try calling a person unstable and see what happens. Oh, no, you didn't. Right? You get sued for that mess. Right? You get sued liable for slander. But James is saying that if we are relying on multiple things, we are unstable. 
Sometimes when we're feeling instability in life, it's because somewhere beneath the surface, we have started to believe that something we care about a lot is not certain. We start to believe that something that we love, something that we care about, might fall apart, might not work. That's stress, that's pain, that's anxiety, right? And what James is talking about is that in Jesus, I found peace that passes understanding. In Jesus, I found that my faith could turn into action because I rely on God above all. I rely on God completely. I serve Jesus with wholehearted devotion. And on the days when I don't, I am unstable. That's what he's saying. Verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I noticed something about the people that hung around Jesus. They talk about heaven a lot. In fact, if you total up the things that Jesus talked about, this future eternity is what Jesus talked about the most times. He wants us to have a confident hope about what is yet to come. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Let's keep moving. Verses 17 through 18. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. Thank you, Lord, for coffee and chocolate. Who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Somebody needs to hear today that God is not as unreliable as the people who hurt you. God is not going to abandon you. People may have abandoned you. God is not going to abandon you. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true Word. And we, out of all creation, became His prized possession. This is alluding to what Jesus talked about, about the church. Us, His followers, being His bride when He returns. This lifelong, eternal committed personal relationship. His love never fails. Verse 19, wish it wasn't in here. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I failed at that this week. I had to apologize. You know what a good apology looks like? Because apparently most people in power today don't. Here's what a good apology looks like. Like using this as my source. Ask questions, listen. The other person names the hurt. From a place of understanding now, I say, this is what I did. It was wrong. This is what I'm hearing was the damage from that. I'm sorry. I make a commitment to never do it again. Please forgive me and help me understand how to make it right. 
That's what a good apology looks like. That's how relationships reconciled and restored. That's how it should work. I thought that was pretty good. Man, it just... James, like just... There's so much... You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This lesson is not easy, right? But if we don't start to recognize that there's something wrong, because, you know, we're going to think we're right. If we don't start to recognize we're wrong, we can't start to make the change. If we don't start to ask God for wisdom, the change won't be genuine. It won't be wholehearted. And we will still be unstable. See, there's a thread. There's a connect, connective tissue in this. Slow to get angry. I have found that the more people dig into what do I believe about God? What do I believe about God? That they can, when they find the truth in Scripture about Jesus, come to a place of transformative peace. And when they come to a place of transformative peace, then it's really, what's the worst that can happen? And when they come to a place of transformative peace that comes from God, it's a whole lot easier to be slow to anger. When I was in sixth grade, I was in 27 fights. Ask me how I know. That was just during the school year and they were counting. That was during the school year and they were counting. I would not have survived the current standards of school policy. I'd probably been locked up frankly. I was quick to get angry. Now, after some years, I come to realize that because when I was nine years old, I was sexually abused at the hands of other kids, I went into a season of feeling unstable, unsafe. My life had gotten beyond my control, and I was seeking control. I was seeking peace. I was seeking control. And so if I saw something as a threat, it was an immediate response. By the way, most of the 27 fights were one punch from me. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't want you to get it twisted. I was not being bullied, okay? I was not being bullied. I was quick to anger. I was quick to anger. And let me tell you something. For the rest of my life since that year, I have not been in that many fights total all the years since. Small handful. We don't count what happened in Taekwondo. (laughs) My prayer is that in our relationships with each other that you don't find me quick to anger. Because I'm allowing through the brokenness, through the repentance, through the right apologies, I'm allowing God the Holy Spirit to change my character, my tendencies, right? And to bring healing to my whole person. 
Now, I still make mistakes, and so I still apologize for those mistakes. It's one of the only things that's a path forward. Are you with me? Quick to ang- uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Sometimes anger is connected to a different root issue God wants to bring healing to. Here's this last one, verse 21. This one requires more interpretation, more application than we have time for today. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. Now, summing up a lot of research... In this context, what he is saying is where Jesus quoted the Old Testament, that is the revealed inspired word of God that Jesus used to also reveal his identity as Messiah and give us instructions on what is most important. That is the word of God that he will use to save your souls. That grammar again, salvation, God has done it, God is doing, God will yet do it. The heavy lifting is God, not you. We don't save our souls. Hello? It is our reasonable response to approach the Word of God with humility. Haven't you already learned your way of doing things isn't working out so well? You're not always right. You're not always the smartest person in the room. God revealed through Isaiah, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. We are called to humbly accept the word of God, which has the power of salvation. Man, this is good. But what is our action point? Get rid of the filth. Everybody's got it. What is that clearly easy to define filth? Maybe you're keeping it on the DL. You're low-key self-medicating with it. James says, get rid of the filth. We need God's help. Let's bring this to some conclusion and try to identify some of the lessons we can get from these first 21 verses of this letter. What do we learn about God? Well, God is faithful. God gives wisdom. God is reliable. God gives opportunities. God blesses. God has spoken. God offers salvation. Each of those sentences directly taken from this passage. That's what we learn about God. I don't know about you, Let's just say we put somebody else's name in there. Rebecca is faithful. Rebecca gives wisdom. Rebecca is reliable. Rebecca gives opportunities. Like her birthday, opportunities for cake. Rebecca blesses. Rebecca has spoken. She has spoken. Rebecca offers salvation. Okay, so that's really a God thing. But that sounds like, it sounds like a person you want to be in relationship with. Am I right? 
So my desire should be awakened to be in relationship with this God. I thought so. Okay, so what should we do in response to these 21 verses today? What should we do? Well, number one, oh boy, typos. Have faith in God alone. Have faith in God alone with wholehearted devotion. Have faith in God alone with wholehearted devotion. Jesus made it really clear, right? Love God with all you've got. Quoting Deuteronomy. Number two, grow in patient endurance. And remember the full sentence. Not just endurance of things that God didn't ask us to endure. Grow in patient endurance of testing and temptation. It's important. A little bit more. What should we do? Well, number three, listen and be slow to speak. Quick to listen. So your first response when somebody is coming at you with something that you don't understand, ask a qualifying question, an open-ended question. Closed questions are questions to which the answer is one word. Yes, no, I'm 45. (laughs) Open-ended questions are questions that don't end with a one-word answer. Why did you start skateboarding? It looked fun. And the story goes on, right? Ask open-ended questions. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Learn how to bite your tongue. Show some restraint. Consider the other person. Number four, be slow to get angry. Maybe you've gone through a season like I did. Ask God for some help. Number five, get rid of spiritual junk. If you need some help with that, ask anybody here in this room. Come to Celebrate Recovery. Talk to me. We've got lots of suggestions for how to get rid of a spiritual junk. Here's just a little teaser for that. It starts with a good apology. Number six, humbly accept God's word. Humbly accept God's word. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer this morning. Thank you, God, for this letter from James. Thank you for the wisdom that it gives us about how this following Jesus thing works in the real world. Lord, we certainly need help with this. I ask that you would help each person here today to connect with one point of truth from this and help them to walk away today with one step, one thing that they can do about it. Help us to grow in our endurance. Help us to have a wholehearted faith in you. We thank you for it, for who you are, for all that you've done today. In the name of Jesus, amen.